0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 5th of August 2021. And before we go any further, Tegan, a certain Ockenden did well in the Olympics, brother of.
0: Brother of our brilliant producer Will is in the finals that are tonight. So if you're not already watching the Olympics, you should be.
1: And keep an eye out for Eddie Ockenden
0: in the hockey. So back here in Australia, Norman, still dealing with this pandemic, still millions of Australians living under lockdown in South Queensland and, of course, Greater Sydney. And even though our vaccines are going into the arms of Australians at more than a million doses a week at the moment, it's still feeling like a very long way away until our lives are back to normal. And Alana has written in about just this. Alana works in theatre. Well,
1: this is not operating theatre. This is... <laughs> It's
0: such a doctor thing to say. This musical theatre nerd over here knew exactly what she was talking about. Uh, Alana says, I love listening to your podcast, but I'm finding it hard at the moment because it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You're telling us that we need a vaccine and now we have it, but even at 80%, you told us we're not going to be able to necessarily stop lockdowns or social distancing. For someone who works in theatre, could you please give us some positive news? I need hope
1: well I think everybody needs hope, particularly in New South Wales at the moment in southeast Queensland does too, although they seem to be getting under control okay so here 's the story, and here 's what might be if enough people in New South Wales of all ages but particularly younger people under forty who are people who acquire this and are the transmitters, but also boomers essentially people over sixty who are eligible for astra they come forward in large numbers if we get a lot of vaccine into people's arms in New South Wales in very high numbers over the next three or four weeks, we could get to a very high level of coverage in New South Wales so that we might not need to return to zero cases. What I'm saying here is that New South Wales might be, in a, in a nice way, the canary in the coal mine, but not not in terms of sniffing the gas and <laughs> the, of the disaster coming. Yeah, let's
0: think of a different
1: metaphor. Well, they, we actually... Okay, let me just go back. Thank you, Tegan, for suggesting I could find another (laughs) metaphor. So the metaphor is that um, we are, if you like, the miners at the end of the tunnel, and we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in New South Wales before everybody else. Because it could be that we see hospitalizations and deaths plummeting in New South Wales with a high vaccination rate, and the fact that you can actually cope with a reasonable number of cases each day. In which case, you could start to um, look at how you open up to things like large events. Now, it may be, for example, that what you do, well, I think musicals are doing this anyway in New South Wales, is that we are wearing masks when you go and see them. That helps a lot. But you might be able to institute rapid antigen testing, for example. So you add $10 to the price of a ticket, and you add another half an hour or 45 minutes onto the time to actually get into the auditorium and you have testing on the periphery and you only get in if your rabbit antigen test negative now that's not as accurate as doing that rapid antigen tests daily but it's not a bad way of differentiating people who are actively infectious and uh, that sort of process could actually start to get things under control. And New South Wales might well be the test bed for how you open up when you're not at zero spread.
0: So looking at similar interventions that we've talked about for things like sporting events.
1: That's right. And really being innovative about it and just managing the risk. And it really depends on Everybody in New South Wales who's eligible coming forward for the vaccine and redirecting Pfizer doses towards, first of all, the suburbs who are um, at risk, but also young people, because they are the people who transmit the virus and get infected. And we're already seeing in New South Wales, they're already also the people who can go into intensive care and sometimes die and sometimes die at home. And so we've got to to redirect, reprioritise, and New South Wales might be the place where it's done first.
0: The thing that this gets me thinking about is we've got these thresholds and we need them for public health you know, policy responses, but really it's not, they're not steps. It's like a spectrum, a continuum where every single vaccine dose that goes into someone's arm, every person that's infected gets us closer to this, you know, magical herd immunity or whatever, but also is another individual who's protected.
1: That's right. And it's, and it's also on a continuum with the other measures that we're taking, such as wearing masks out in the community, I'm noticing in Sydney that a lot of people are wearing masks out and about without necessarily having been asked to do so. So it's not just indoors. So I think mask wearing is a huge thing that one can do and uh, on top of the vaccine. So the more people that do that, the less chance of you know, circulation in the community, the more people are vaccinated. And you're right, it just grows and we, and we will reach a point where it's tipped over and we're tipped over into much better control with less drastic measures.
0: It is... A bit hard. We're looking at this in such detail every single day and it can feel a bit bleak, but it it is good to take that step back and go, there definitely is light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Yep. And I'm living in New South Wales and I see that light.
0: Well, on that, Norman, we've gotten a few different permutations of a similar question. Basically, people over 60 asking, how is it not discrimination or ageism that they're only being offered AstraZeneca for over 60s?
1: It's not ageism at all. It's evidence. The evidence is that over 60, the risk drops dramatically, not just of getting the clotting syndrome, but actually of getting the severe clotting syndrome. And in a resource-constrained environment, it's a safe vaccine to get. I've had it. Plenty of other people have had it, particularly over 50. There is no... I mean, notice we've got a couple of questions. Well, when am I going to get the Pfizer? I have no idea when you're going to get the Pfizer. It could be down the line because under 40-year-olds are going to get it before you, or at least they should get it before you, because... A, their risk of the clotting syndrome is a bit higher. And B, you can have Astra, which is very, uh, you over 60 can have Astra, use the existing Astra doses and preserve it for the groups in the population who need it more, not just to protect themselves, but also to protect the rest of the community. I am mean, when I say it, I'm talking about Pfizer.
0: There's two things in play here, right? There's maximising the number of bodies that can be protected from COVID, which if people over 60 get AstraZeneca, then that means people under 60 can get Pfizer. And then additionally, in real-world results, the difference in protection is
1: minuscule. It's minuscule. And the the advantage in Pfizer for the younger groups is that you can, if you're not going to go for a first-dose strategy in six weeks between Pfizer doses, you can be done and dusted in three weeks and get protection against infection, which is probably a little bit better than Astra. And the key here is that in the target group, you want as many people as possible with at least partial protection against the infection. It's not 100%, maybe 50 or 60%, but that's pretty good when you have everybody who's immunized is 50 or 60% protected against infection. That means when the virus is in the community, it keeps on bumping up against people who it's not going to infect. It's got to find the, the one and two or one in three people who are susceptible to infection. And that's a harder job than just bumping into anybody and infecting them. So
0: just on this idea of population vaccination, Frank has a question. He's noticed that the end of winter is going to coincide with these predicted vaccination goals. So how are we going to be able to distinguish between the seasonal aspect of COVID and the vaccine effect?
1: It's not necessarily going to be easy, and they're struggling with that analysis now in Britain where they've seen a tailing off of the Delta surge. And they're saying, well, it's because kids aren't at school. It's the summer holidays, it's hot weather and people are outside and that's because it's summer. Just wait for winter. And I think you've just got to prepare for the fact that we might get a little bit better in summer, but that's not an excuse for not getting maximum vaccination rates and protection of the community when we've got a bit of a lull.
0: We've seen India tailing off too.
1: Yeah, there are things we still don't fully understand and it may well be that in so- that sometimes you've got susceptible populations who get quite good vaccination coverage and which you don't pick up that statistic when you just look at averages over the whole community you've got to look at who is being immunized and it could be for example that in india it's a combination of strategies in specific population groups
0: and a question from Carol asking whether the small amount left in each Pfizer vial could be added together to get another
1: shot. Well, they've already worked this one out, which is that if you use a very small needle, uh, you can get an extra dose out of the Pfizer vials. And I think in most cases that's what they're doing.
0: But they can't add them together from multiple vials, can they?
1: No, I, th- I think that what, what they're getting is an extra dose and there's nothing left after the extra dose.
0: Well, for what it's worth, we're hearing from, at least in Victoria, Jerome and Weimar, who's the commander of the public of the vaccine rollout there, or the COVID response there, is that the wastage amount that they're seeing in the Victorian system is exceptionally low. They're just not seeing any doses wasted at the end of the day, which is really good news.
1: I've just thought of another reason why um, you might not want to do that, and it's about batches. You want to be sure that um, you, you can track the batch that somebody's had. So if there's a problem, you can trace it back to the actual vaccine that you received. And if you start mixing vaccines, then you could mix up batches and you don't know where you are. So that would be another reason, I suspect, why you wouldn't do it.
0: And so Victor- well, yesterday we heard Victoria had had another so-called Donut Day, zero cases. Louise is asking, why is it called a Donut Day?
1: What's in the middle of a donut? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing (laughs) there you have it so that's all we've got time for today on Coronacast send in your questions to abc.net.au slash Coronacast and we will see you tomorrow see you then